we're doing now the portion of Shoftim, Monday section. We are in chapter 17. We're up to verse 14. Shoftim is a compilation of many laws. Today's portion is focusing on the laws having to do with kings. Now, the idea of a king is actually a command of God. It's one of the three commandments for the Jews when they entered Israel. To appoint a king, to destroy Amalek, to build a temple. That's obviously something positive and godly, and a king is definitely something in God's system, as we see, that when we have the redemption, there's a king, the King Mashiach, the King Messiah, who is the one that redeems us and the one that connects us to God on a level higher than we'll be able to connect to ourselves. But when the Jewish people asked for a king, which again was God's command, and they asked the prophet Shmuel Hanavi Samuel for a king, he felt it was a rejection of God and a rejection of himself, so to speak. And God said, don't worry, it's not just you they're rejecting, they're rejecting me. Because they asked for a king, as our verse says here, like all the nations. We're not looking for a king as a facilitator of our relationship to God, a king who is so nullified and has such a closeness to God that he can lift us up and bring us to a relationship we can never achieve on our own. We want to be like all the nations. We want that type of king. So that type of king is a problem. That type of king is someone who actually is going to separate you from God. But the king in his purity and holiness, the true Jewish king who's so nullified, and is actually a vehicle to connect the Jews to God, that is a godly commandment. That is something that has, in the past, with those very great godly kings, been a tool to help us become closer to God than we could ever achieve on our own. So with that background, verse 14. When you come to the land that God your God gives you, and possess it, and settle in it, and you'll say, I will send a king over myself like all the nations that are around me. Again, they're not looking at it as God wants. They want to be like everyone else. You shall surely say, over yourself a king whom God, your God, shall choose. Among your brethren shall you set a king over yourself. You cannot place over yourself a foreign man who is not your brother. Only he shall not have too many horses for himself, and he will not return the people to Egypt in order to increase horses. For God has said to you, you shall no longer return on this road again. So we're saying there's a king, and of course kings had tremendous excesses, especially among the nation, the idea of absolute power, absolute authority, absolute wealth. So right away we're putting these limits. Now, this isn't, that's not the type of king God wants. Within a Jewish king, there's constraints. And again, the Jewish king is ultimately supposed to be completely nullified in a vehicle to bring the people to God. We can't have too many horses, of course, in biblical times, that was what many kings had. But what is too many? So Rashi explains he had only enough for his chariot, however that many would be. Um, in the Talmud it says his chariot and his cavalry. And the, the Torah even gives a reason why. If he has so many horses, he's going to bring the people back to Egypt because that's where the horses came from. And he shall not have too many wives, and his heart shall not turn astray, and he shall not greatly increase silver and gold for himself. Again, he can't have too many wives. Well, what's too many? Well, of course, in those days, many people had many wives. But we know that David had six wives. And based on a verse that God says that you could have 
basically like this and like this, meaning twice more than that amount, the implication is that David could have had 18. So that is the amount our stages say, that the maximum would be 18 because more than that would turn your heart astray. And don't have too much gold and silver for yourself. Well, what's too much? Again, he only can have enough to support the people he needs to support, government officials, soldiers, expenses of his army. But he can't just accumulate wealth for himself. He could accumulate wealth for the Jewish people, but not for himself personally. And it shall be, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself two copies of this Torah in a scroll before the Kohanim Levite. So if he does so, if he's nullified to God and does not have these excesses in all the ways that the kings in those times had excesses, then he's worthy, his kingdom should last, and he should make two copies of the Torah. He should have two Torah scrolls, one in his treasury and one that he travels with. It shall be with him and he shall read from it all the days of his life so that he will learn to fear God, his God, to observe all the words of this Torah and these decrees to perform them. So all the words of the Torah, Rashi says, means in the normative sense as it sounds, which is in contrast to the next verse where Rashi is going to explain something in a way perhaps different than it sounds. Next verse, so that his heart does not become haughty over his brothers and not turn from the commandment right or left, they will prolong years over his kingdom, he and his sons amid Israel. So not turn from the commandment, Rashi says means a commandment we would normally think of as a commandment of Torah, but we know that the previous verse already said that he has keeping all the words of Torah. So what's this referring to? Rashi says it means even a light command of the prophet in order that he should prolong his years. So Rashi says that we know that the positive, you understand the negative. Meaning, if you listen to everything of Torah, including the light words of the prophet, you'll prolong your kingdom, which implies if you don't, you lose it. Which is exactly what happened with the first king, Saul, showed that the prophet Shmuel Samuel said to him after he fought the war with Amalek, he said, wait, seven days wait until I come to you before you offer the offerings to God, the burnt offerings to God. And Saul waited the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day. He waited on the seventh day. But he couldn't wait the whole seventh day as the people were putting a lot of pressure on him and as he was waiting and waiting the seventh day and the prophet didn't come, the prophet didn't come until finally he gave it to the people, offered the offerings, and just when he finished offering them, of course, Samuel arrived and said, that's it. You didn't keep God's command. Forget it. God would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But you didn't keep the command. Now you're, not, you're going to lose his kingdom. So here... The prophet told him to wait seven days before he could offer the offerings. He waited till the seventh day. But the prophet also said, until I arrive. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you. He waited the seven days. He was even in the middle of the seventh day waiting, waiting, waiting. But hey, where's Samuel? Where's Samuel? Where's Samuel? And then he just broke down, gave into the people, offered the offerings, and then of course at that critical moment is when the prophet shows up and says, forget it. You didn't pass the test. We see here for, in a very slight way, so to speak, not following the words of the prophet, where, like, why 
is there this command at all? Why the prophets? Why couldn't he have offered? These are offerings to God. Why can't he have offered them immediately? Why could he wait seven days? Why could he wait for the prophet? Who knows? Who knows? But this is what the prophet told him. But because he didn't completely follow those words, he lost his kingdom. So for to be a Jewish king has to be completely nullified to God. Because, of course, power corrupts. And the more power, the more corruption. And therefore, we need that person who's in the role of the king to be so nullified to God. To the degree that, again, in this command, he won't listen to his intellect, he won't listen to the people, he will listen to God. And only such a person really can be king of the Jewish people. And we're told that, again, if he does listen, the kingship remains for him and for his son. Because if the son is suitable, then he is a person that's appropriate to succeed his father. <laughs> 